It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. It's time to make the dough rise once again. Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving the Lake Country and beyond, based out of Greensboro, Georgia. But you can find him anywhere from wherever you are at livingworth.com. And today we have a great show for you. We're going to be talking about the market and giving you kind of a current update on what's going on there. We're also going to talk about some common questions when you get forced into retirement. What are some of the questions that Brian's fielding all the time? But we're going to tackle all all of this with a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back. He's been on the show a couple of times before. It's Brett Danko, the founder and managing partner of Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. He teaches all the required certified financial planner certification education courses and board prep courses, and uh, he is just the person you want to hear from. During times like right now, where there's a lot of uncertainty and concern about the market and uh, maybe your own personal finances, and that's why we love bringing them on the show every once in a while uh, to just uh, add, I don't know, some pep, some spice. Uh, you know, Brian, what's a good uh, you know uh, pizza term that we can use? Like, what what is what is uh, Brett's you know pizza ingredient that helps kind of bring yeah. it all together? If you, will. I was going to say like flair or pizzazz or something like that. But he's like I, the red I, pepper flakes, you know. Red, there you go. Like that's it. You know what? I did. Did I tell you about my new pizza? No, you did not. Okay, I copied this from uh, Enzio Pizza over in South Carolina. So to give them full credit, but it's no sauce. It's just got olive oil base, buffalo mozzarella, goat cheese, fig jam, fresh thyme, and thin sliced lemons. It is the most amazing pizza ever. So there's there's my that's the pizza equivalent to Brett Denko. Wow. All right. What do you think, Brett? Uh, welcome to the show, first of all. And then you're being called a, a lemon goat cheese pizza. Uh, is that, is that a, do you take that <laughs> hey, as a man, compliment? I've been called worse. So uh, <laughs> actually, that sounds really good, Brian. I, I would be up for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I thank like you we need for to get a t-shirt and printed. Uh, I'm excited. That. Yeah, we need to get a T-shirt with like a with that lemon goat cheese pizza printed on it, and Brett can just wear it around. I think that we'll, we'll be, call it the Danko. The Danko, <laughs> yeah, that'd be the name of the pizza, the Danko. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, thanks for being here, Brett. Again, we appreciate it. And uh, Brian, uh, what are we getting into today? I know you've got some specific things that you want to uh, kind of poke and prod Brett about and get his opinion on. We're very happy to have Brett because he obviously he's been teaching the CFP curriculum for decades. He stays current on all the laws and changes, always has an interesting insight into you know what's maybe on the horizon when we have legislative changes. So always a good person to hear from and uh, always has good entertaining stories and, and, and keeps things lively and, and interesting. So this is part of our VIP guest series, and we're going to talk about changes that are coming up to... Uh, tax brackets, IRA contributions, things like that. And then we'll do a, a segment on what to do if you're offered a, an early retirement package. So the whole, just kind of a, a cornucopia of, of good topics today. Perfect. Well, if you're interested in that conversation about the forced into retirement conversation and uh, details there, we're going to cover those common questions coming up a little bit later in the show. But let's certainly get to what's on everybody's mind, Brian, and uh, start diving into uh, current updates about uh, the, the market and the economy. Yeah. Uh, Brett, you want to lead us off there? I, I've shared pl you know, plenty of my commentary and, and insights with clients, but uh, we'd love to hear from you. In terms of the actual the markets, you know, just, just overall? Yeah, you know, we've been down for three quarters in yeah. a row now, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest thing you just said. It, Brian. We've been down for three quarters in a row, and we haven't we haven't seen that. Um, we haven't seen that since uh, really two thousand eight and nine. And you know, since then, we've had a quarter or two where we would be down, or a month or two where we would be down, but it immediately bounced back. Uh, so I think you know, after fourteen years of you know. MMT of of doing massive amounts of stimulus. And again, I'm on the record as saying that for modern monetary theory, it actually can work. I've spent, I don't know, 30, 40 hours studying the thing. I've read a book on it. The issue though is, is once inflation rears its ugly head, you have to stop spending. And that's where I always said that politicians will never stop spending other people's money. It doesn't matter whether they're Democrat or Republican. I always say the Republicans spend like drunken sailors and the Democrats spend like really, really drunken sailors. So, but they're both like, oh, we're so fiscally responsible. No, they're not. No, they're not. Um, ne- neither side is because it's easy spending other people's money. So I think this time, you know, inflation readers like ahead, they're still spending and now the and inflation is there and now they have to deal with it. One of the biggest things that they had to do was raise interest rates. And this is something, Brian, you know, you and I have talked about a, a, a lot over the years is that many clients, many even advisors who, who basically have been in the business less than 12, 13 years, they think that fixed income is safe. And I guess if you buy a bond for 3% that goes out 10 years, so you bought that in December of last year, 2021, and it goes out 10 years and you get 3% on it. Yeah, if you hold that bond, you get 3% every year. And at the end of 10 years, you'll get $1,000. Meaning if you paid $1,000 for it, you get 3% years. You get $30 every year. Well, interest rates went up the discount rate uh, uh, went up. And what occurred was, is people are like saying, well, wait a minute, why did the value of my bonds go down? I understand like stocks, you know, we may be in a recession, we might not be, but I understand that. What I don't understand is how could, how could, you know, a bond go down? Well, what occurs is, is right now, I could get, we'll say 5%, with $1,000 to go out 10 years. So the person who bought the bond that's paying 3% less than a year ago says, hey, I'm gonna try and sell my bond or what is my bond worth? And the market tells them, wait a minute, why would I pay you what you bought, what you paid for that bond $1,000? It it only gives me 3%. When I can go into the market right now and get 5%, So if you want me to buy your 3% bond that pays me $30 a year on 1,000 rather than 50, guess what? I am going to levy a discount on your bond. So your bond may only be worth $850 instead of 1,000. Now, if you hold that individual bond for the entire 10 years, yes, you'll get your $1,000 back. You'll get less interest than you would have gotten on current bonds, but you can do that. A lot of people, though, have bond funds. So you buy bond funds and there's lots of bonds in there. And the problem is, is they're not necessarily in the same token of saying, I have to hold this thing. So the value of the bonds inside of there as a whole have gone down significantly. So that is something that, you know, double digit decreases in fixed income slash bonds. That's a big deal. 
And that's something that I think people can understand the stock market going down. When their bonds go down, they start to say, oh my, like what? I, I thought that was the safe part. So that is where, you know, th th this has been a little different, um, I would argue, um, this time around is having three quarters. And I think people were, were prone to just say, oh, yeah, 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 buy on the dip. Well, when they bought on the dip at the end of the f first quarter, they're down. When they bought on the dip at the end of the second quarter, they're down going into the fourth quarter. So you're like, wait a minute, I keep buying and, and, and buying more. Like I'm buying it on sale, but it didn't go up. So will it go up? Yes, I believe in America. I believe that it's going to go up. But we are in a cycle, and that's what happens. And the Federal Reserve didn't allow us to go into cycles because they did lots of stimulus, and they kept interest rates near zero. So that allowed the economy to grow and grow and grow. And we never really had inflation until the last, you know, until COVID came along and then all the extra programs they did. Now, some of those programs were absolutely needed, but then they just sort of layered on things. It was like, how do we just add stuff that we really, it isn't for COVID at all, but let's just add things on as giveaways. And what occurred when they did that, um, that's where inflation really came uh, into being. So now the Federal Reserve has to cut, I mean, has to raise interest rates instead of cutting them. Um, so now they're raising interest rates, which is good for savers. And you say, well, wait a minute, I have money in bonds. I've been getting... I've been losing money on it. Yeah, but if you had money in cash or money markets or bank CDs, those CDs are now you can actually earn something on. And fixed income is actually coming back as an asset class. So it's it's one of those things that was there was there's all this talk over the past, you know, three, four, five years. People come to me and they'd be like, oh, well, you know, you have these things called alternative investments, which I'm a huge believer in. Let me be clear. Um, but they were like, oh, you fixed income isn't a category anymore. And I go, it will be again. And they're like, no, nope, no, nope, interest rates will always be zero. And I was like, that's just not true. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm an old man. Like, I know that markets go up and markets go down. I know interest rates go up and interest rates go down. So that's what I would say overall. We will get out of this. It's going to be a little bit of pain. But that fixed income, I think, was a real issue. I do want to talk about the mortgage market quickly. But I want, Brian, if you would, comment on discussions you're having with, with clients and, and people out there. You know, do they understand, you know, about the, you know, about interest rates going up and then their bond portfolios go, going down? Yeah, I think that's one I think of the you topics. try to educate them as, hey, this can happen, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of those topics that you can explain it and it, it's really hard to understand. It's like when you're dealing with a stock, if I say, oh, this company, their earnings went down or they've cut their dividend or something like that, it makes perfect sense why that, the value of that stock would go down. But so often we're taught that bonds are the safe, conservative, that, that you're a protected asset class. And when you have a dramatic rise in interest rates, and I want to say this year has probably been the worst year. No, it has been the worst year for bonds in about 50 years. Because we in the late 70s, when interest rates were so high, we've basically been on a downward trajectory for 30, 40, 50 years, uh, you know, there, there's been some ups and downs along the way, obviously. But once you hit zero or a quarter percent or half percent on, you know, certain bond categories and CDs, there's really only one way to go uh, and that's back up and then bond prices come down. Well, we've gone up very dramatically. So on top of the stock market doing poorly, the bonds have done poorly. And it, it's really reflecting in performance numbers and you know, people are 
They're definitely concerned. And when you back up and look at holding periods, waiting for bonds to mature, yeah, that, that will all play out and, and they'll get their, their money back on, on the individual bonds. And maybe the bond funds are a little bit different uh, scenario. But overall, I'm seeing an increased interest now in buying some 10-year treasuries, going back into some you know, bond and fixed income categories, because you can actually get a, a respectable yield there. So that, that's probably going to pull down uh, or maybe slow down high dividend stocks. I think a lot of people were looking to high dividend stocks to replace the income that they had gotten from bonds in, in previous years. But yeah, it's a particularly rough year when you have both stocks and bonds going down. And it's just uh, like Brett said, it's a function of years and years of uh, stimulus spending, overspending, deficit spending that's pumping you know, money into the system. And then now you've got this corrective action that's pulling down you know, stocks and bonds. So it's unpleasant at the moment. It will be temporary. It is going to pass. The The Fed you know, has tamed interest rates in, in the past, and they're going to use that same playbook now. And the news will get worse before things start to get better, but the market will turn and get better ahead of the worst of it. So we're three months, three quarters into it, a little over three quarters into it. You know, it's anybody's guess how long it lasts, but hopefully not terribly long. Yeah. And, and they released uh, uh, GDP numbers, which is like looks at the overall growth of the economy. And it was up, I think, 2.6% for, for the last quarter, for the third quarter. But that was more because of international trade and some other things. Like the, the we're probably going to go into a recession. Hopefully, it won't be a bad one. But the stock market is usually a leading indicator going into, you know, it goes down when we're sort of ahead of time heading into a recession. And then it comes, it leads us out of, of, of it as well. So that's one of the things that, that we can look forward to. Um, Brian, would it be okay if I just touched on mortgage rates quickly? Yeah, absolutely. That's a perfect uh, okay. segue into, into mortgages. Once you understand the movement of, of, bonds and getting you know investing uh we can just flip it and talk about borrowing yeah so so with mortgages so i just you know one of the things that i i was sort of out there looking for is like how do you put it in a way that people can can, can understand because for me this stuff gets complicated i'm like wait a minute how can i understand it on a basic level and then also be able to explain it to other people so one of the the best things that i've that i've seen and sort of going going through things was $2,500 mortgage payment. Now that's not the property taxes included in or in your homeowner's insurance, just your principal and interest, $2,500 a month, which is 30,000 a year. You say, how much of a home could you buy for that? Okay, you ready? At the beginning of the year, mortgage rates were around 3%. You could have purchased a $750,000 house, put 20% down cash, borrowed 80%. So you borrow 80% and you would have spent roughly $2,500 a month. Now, interest rates just 10 months later are around seven, oh, excuse me, mortgage rates, 7% for mortgage rates. That means that instead of being able to buy a $750,000 house and put 20% down, the same 2,500 buys a $475,000 house. And then you put 20% down on 475000 and then you pay your mortgage. So that's an over 35% decrease in buying power based on $2,500. I mean, Walter, what do you think of that? I mean, that, that's like whenever I saw that, I was like, 
now. I explained that to my daughter. My daughter was like, now I get it. That's a big deal. Yeah. So that does not bode well for the real estate market in general if you're trying to get out at the highs. It's a bit scary, and um, I, you know I, I work with a lot of real estate agents across the country, hosting uh, podcasts in that realm as well, and it's pretty interesting. I mean, they're they're seeing these cuts happen very very quickly. Um, I mean, the market is just falling off a cliff. Some markets more than others. I think the ones where it hasn't happened, it seems like it's just delayed. This is just my anecdotal evidence from talking to a couple of uh, you know various real estate agents across the country and kind of getting some of their behind the scenes opinions on things. And it's like, well, that happened quickly. And the thing that jumps out to me is if you go back to the beginning of the year and you look at what all the expert predictions were about mortgage rates, I can pull up some articles where the national organizations, high-end experts were all saying, yeah, we might see rates tick up a percent. And and I think even a lot of them were even saying less than a percent was the expected. And then like three months into the year, they started to reframe that and say, okay, we're going to see it increase a little bit faster than that. But nobody had any idea that it was going to be now. What I just saw the headline as we record this this morning was officially passing the 7% mark. So nobody knows <laughs> what's going to come and, six months from now. Yeah, and if your budget is $2,500, I mean, that's that may not be something you can increase you know, dramatically to, to get that bigger house. So if you need the $750,000 house and now you can only afford a $500,000 house, you know, one of two things happens. You have to lower your expectations or prices of houses are going to have to come down to match, you know, where the buyers are, are going to be. And, and, and we're not a culture of lowering our expectations, Brian. So No, I know that. I know exactly what, what's going to happen. And, and, you know, add on to that, you know, the higher cost of everything for, you know, with inflation, gas prices, food prices, maybe their budget isn't $2,500 anymore. Maybe it's 2200 or something like that. So, yeah, I think there's some pain coming for real estate prices. But to be fair, they've shot up very dramatically uh, through the COVID era. So maybe it's just a, a return to normal. Brian, you you touched on it. There are other expenses. I mean, with inflation running, you know, they'll say it's eight, nine percent, you know, but if you actually people out there, and I don't think these are, you know, conspiracy nuts, but if you, I, I've seen things that if you actually really look at inflation, you know, if you really look at it, it's double digit. And so right now, seniors got an 8.7% increase uh, for their Social Security, which is, it's the highest number I believe it's ever been. I, I believe. I think it is the highest number. Um, or at Definitely least in the, the last 40 years. Yep. Yeah. So so that's just unbelievable. And there's seniors who may be falling behind. I mean, they're looking at heating costs where we live in the Northeast of being anywhere from 30 to 40% higher. I know just we use uh, oil heat and our person said, look, you're going to spend 30 to 40 percent if it's just an average winner more than you did last year. And he said, if it's colder, I I don't know if I'll be able to get the heating oil that I need. I looked at him. I go, you're serious. And he goes, I'm just being honest with you. So, uh, you know, we're we're blessed. We'll be able to to take that, you know, price hike uh, and be able to keep our home warm. But you know, there's a lot of people out there who inflation has really affected them. And I don't think people fully realize that inflation is a tax. It is a massive tax on people of fixed incomes, the working class, lower middle class, even middle class. But it's it's on all of us. But that's where it really affects them because there's, they spend so much of their money on basics. And so, uh, so it's going to be, a, a, I think it's going to be a tough winner. 
I really do. And so uh, so hopefully we'll be able to, to get out of this and inflation will start to tick down and you know energy prices and food prices will, will, will tick down next year. I think they probably will, but I think they're going to be, it's called disinflation, where instead of it being 8 9% or 6%, it'll be 4%. So it'll still be going up, just not at as high of, of rates. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's pretty scary out there. We will get through this. We've gotten through it before. And when, you know, when we got through it before, man, we came out and that was the 80s, which gave rise to the 90s. And so, you know, there was a lot of expansion during that time. So we just need to stay, you know, positive, optimistic, and hopefully our leaders in Washington on both sides of the aisle will, you know, be wise in, in, in their choices. Brad, I'm not, not sure about on, that last on, one. <laughs> yeah. And not to put you on the spot politically, if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. But when does that pain start to trickle through to policy or, or we've got elections coming up here shortly. It'll probably have happened by the time this, this airs, but uh, is this going to change people's voting, what their priorities are? Is, is there anybody in Washington that hears and feels this? I, I just don't sense with you know, energy policy, for example, and, and their green dream that I don't think we're quite ready for. Is that going to reverse? Do, do you see any tide uh, shifting on that? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, given that we're a week and a half, two weeks out, I'm not going off the script here or whatever, but in terms of like, oh, what, what should I say? I think most people believe the House of Representatives will go Republican, which will send a signal to a lot of Democrats out there that they went too far to the left. I think that'll be that'll be something that 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 will be told to them. The Senate, you know, is going to be either way, you know, either 50-50 or 52-51 one side or the other. I think that's probably what's what's going to happen. I do think people are concerned about inflation. I think they're concerned about crime. So those are things that are that are important. So do the politicians get the message? I don't know. I would hope that if you know, at least the House goes uh, Republican, that maybe uh, the people in the Democratic Party would say, hey, maybe we went a little too far to the left with our stuff. And you know what? Let's go ahead and 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 tack back to the middle. Maybe they would do that. Um, but, but I don't know that that's going to happen. And the reason why I say that is I don't know that it would happen on either side. And so, so when you say politically getting hit there, look, if I reach across, if I'm a moderate Democrat and you're a moderate Republican, I reach across the aisle and I actually do something good for the country with you, Brian, guess what happens? You're I get primaried as a Democrat on the mm -hmm. left. And the only people that vote in those primaries are the diehards, diehard liberals. So guess what? I'm going to lose. You then are going to lose your seat too. Why? Because somebody's going to primary you to the right. And the only people that vote in there are people who are strongly conservative. So you and I would both be out of a job. And we know politicians, they don't want to be out of a job. Mm -hmm. So it's easier just to say, you know what, I'm just going to stick with, with my side. And, you know, my whole, my, I, I really wish we had the only, I love it when somebody's not running for reelection and then they start voting. They start voting the way they should vote. It's so funny. You're like, yeah. and they'll put up vote and they'll be like, look, I'm not running for reelection. This is the way I feel. They can be mavericks or whatever. It's just amazing. So term limits. And then also they call them jungle primaries, where if you're in a, a rural part of Georgia, which you know is going to be a Republican, have two, just have a primary. And in the end, have two Republicans run against each other for a seat. If you're in you know, New York City, uh, you have two you know, Democrats run. That way, the more moderate side can come out. 
Do you know what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. That's probably what we need to do along with term limits. So you're asking, will the politicians get, get, the, uh, get the message? I don't know. People I talk to regarding uh, energy prices, they want them to be high. Right. They want it to be so painful and be so difficult that people are like, well, I guess we have to go to the green dream. And we'll get there. It's just going to take 20 or 30 years. And so that's the issue. But people don't realize, I was explaining this to, to a group of people. They were like, well, it's just gas, right? And I'm like, no, your food gets sent to you via what? Via diesel trucks. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. The goods that come from China and from other places, those come on diesel ships. And then the fertilizer you need petroleum for that. Anything plastic, somebody I, somebody had a Yeti cup. I said, see that Yeti cup? If you don't have petroleum, you cannot build that, just that Yeti cup. And they're like, I didn't know oil was in everything. Yes. And so yeah, that think- permeates throughout the whole system. Yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say. So I think that's, is it going to make a difference? I, I think there's going to be a mini message sent. Um, but I don't know that that I, I don't know that they're going to get the message totally. I I just don't. Yeah, so I, I sorry say about the, to be the, the top uh, two, all, all, all downer. No, no, but I think the top the top two criteria. And I've said this before for venture capital investments or new technologies. It, it has to be like the holy grail is it's better and cheaper. And if you go back to when the combustion engine was came out. You had horses, horse and buggies everywhere, and all the waste products from the horses were piling up. And it was just, there was a doom about, you know, what are we going to do? How many horses are we going to need to keep this economy going? And then the combustion engine comes along and it it solves a problem. It's better. It's cheaper. Ten years later, they they made about a complete switch from horse-drawn carriages to to motor vehicles. So if you apply that today, if the electric and alternative was cheaper and better, people would automatically gravitate to it. And I think what they're trying to do is force it by making oil and petroleum products more expensive. And then they're subsidizing the heck out of uh, you know, clean and, and green type stuff. And it's, it's just really going to, it's just going to be a big waste of capital in my opinion. It'll get better. It will get better. It, it, right. Meaning right. in time, we'll probably, we'll, we will get there. The technologies are going to come along, but you're right. They're trying to force it. And I think that's the problem. And also, they, they're trying to force it when China and India put a coal-fired plant online every week. Right. Meaning you have other countries that are totally, totally ignoring all of this. So we're not really making a difference when other countries aren't following suit. So yeah, that, that's what that's why I don't know that the message will be. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens if if that what I sort of outline what happens with um, you know President Biden. Will President Biden? become the moderate that he says he is, because he hasn't been. And that's his prerogative. But it'll be interesting to, to, to see whether that happens. Uh, Bill Clinton was a famous, you know, very liberal, and he got crushed in the midterms in the House, especially. And you know what? He was like, you know what? Let's work together. And I would argue that's what gave us the prosperity following mm-hmm. up on Reagan in the 80s, the prosperity of the 90s. Because he was like, you know what? Let's be practical here. Let's do what's best and, and for America. That was so. Even that was though the people have time. issues with Bill Clinton's other issues, but he, he did what was best for the country, and he, and he tacked to the center. So hopefully, hopefully yeah. he'll do that. But I don't have a lot of hope for it. Yeah, that was the last big time we had a compromise in Washington, and I'd like to see that happen yeah. again. Yeah, and we had a balanced budget too. We actually had a yeah. balanced. People didn't realize that we had a balanced budget. Like it was insane, cutting taxes, balanced budget. I mean, it was pretty pretty amazing. 
So, uh, so anyway, so I, I know we spent a bunch of time on that, but, uh, I do, it's, it's interesting how I, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And Brian, I'd love to be on another call with you next spring and, or, or, or whenever, uh, even during the winter. And we could talk more about that, but, uh, but yeah, but I know there's yeah, some it, other it, things that we wanted to talk about. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to follow that one. We can definitely revisit it. A uh, couple other updates, Walter. We had uh, there's there's a lot of cost of living adjustments. Obviously, applied to uh, social security benefits, and we talked about that a little bit. But in the past, a lot of the tax brackets and and uh, amounts for social security to be taxable or what capital gains rates were 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 fairly fixed. And there's been some updates. Some of those numbers now float and get adjusted for cost of living. Some of them are still fixed. But a couple notable ones, and we mentioned the the Social Security benefit, obviously, but the tax brackets are expanding a little bit. Uh, so it looks like in 2023, we'll probably have another $6,000 worth of income that will fall in the 12% bracket for, for couples married filing joint. Uh, so that gives you a little bit more room to maneuver and potentially you know do Roth conversions or take a little extra out of IRAs at, at a lower bracket. Uh, obviously, we've talked about that many times. And then if you're a notch above that, if you're in the 22% bracket, uh, looks like you'll have about another 12000 a little over $12,000 worth of income that stays in the 12% bracket. So nice, nice little bit of uh, expansion on these, these tax brackets. So it's good to see that if you have more income, if you have your social security going up, maybe your pensions cost of living adjusted, maybe you've got more income coming from your portfolio, uh, you should be able to get some of that through at a, at a better tax bracket. And then uh, I do know that on 401k contributions, what was it, Brett? Two, $2,000 of additional contribution and- um, And an extra thousand uh, on the catch-up. So instead of being able to do 20,500, uh, you can now do 22,500. And instead of if you're age 50 or older, just doing 6,500 catch-up, now you can do 7,500. So if you're age 50 or older, you can in your 401k last year or this year, 2022 is 27,000. Next year, it's 30,000. That's a big increase. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, that's about a 10% increase. Yeah. So yeah, yeah if you're so, looking to fortify yeah. uh, retirement and the income's good and you uh, aren't getting crushed with higher food prices and gas prices and all that, and you've got extra left over, great news. Uh, may not apply to a, a lot of people. And, and one of the, I would just add, Brian, one of the things that I love about your podcast is yes, lots of there's podcasts out there and other people do they talk about the markets and they talk about this and that. What I love is that you're actually talking to them about real world things and saying, hey, this is how this can impact you. This isn't just kind of pie in the sky stuff. It's hey, we're gonna be looking at it. It might make sense to take more out of your IRA at a lower rate. So we can actually do that. There's Roth conversions. There's actually other things that uh, you might want to do. If you're really trying to catch up with retirement, you can sock away a little bit more money. And I think that's one of the things that, that your podcast uh, um, does, because I, I listen to a lot of different things out there, but your podcast does that really well. Is these are, there's actually, yes, there's what's going on, but then there's actionable ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really helpful. And I think, Walter, you're very helpful with that and drawing, drawing that out as well. It's, it's what's, well, how does it affect the, the, the person, the, the listener? Yeah, and, and we're applying this every day to real client situations. And that that's is where I get a lot of my examples and, and inspiration is from real cases that we're dealing. And obviously everyone's a little bit different and uh we, we try and give useful information, but uh it you definitely have to look at your own personal situation to to make to get it right. But lots of opportunities out there. 
You can talk about the theory of all of this all day long, but yeah, putting it into that real world feel is uh, ultimately, I think, what's helpful for folks and where we always try to turn things. Speaking of which, I think our next section of the podcast will indeed provide people with some actionable items, some things to think about, and maybe help somebody who might be going through this situation right now or maybe going through it in the future. Uh, great updates, guys, on on all of those different things from mortgages to bonds, tax brackets, and uh, cost of living adjustments and everything else you covered. Really appreciate that. And our mission number two on today's show, you know, often I'll uh, I'll order two pizzas, Brian, because, you know, Connie kind of likes her deal. I kind of like mm-hmm. my deal. But I do like to have one or two slices of hers. So you know, we'll often get two pizzas and then have leftovers and we get to have a little variety. That's like today's show. We've got the two pizza orders. So we got the market update stuff. And now we it's get the, the, second, supreme. the second pie coming. Or the supreme. Yes. <laughs> uh, the five common questions that people ask when forced into retirement. And so if anybody's being forced into retirement earlier than maybe you planned, or uh, at least maybe you're being presented with that option, perhaps, we have found that there are indeed some common questions that uh, those kinds of folks are asking that you may have on your mind. So we're going to answer those uh, five questions that we've kind of boiled it down to on today's show. And uh, Brian and Brett, looking forward to you guys going back and forth on this. So how about this one for the first common question? Uh, Should I accept a retirement buyout offer that includes a severance or take my chances and stay with the job? Some people are in that position, aren't they? Yeah. So I, I, you, you see this a lot, of, you know, especially the corporate world, everybody is humming along. They think they've got a few years left and whether there's a merger or restructuring cost cutting, and, and you're seeing a lot of cost cutting F initiatives at, across companies to help deal with inflation and supply chain issues. They're, they're trying to squeeze, you know, nickels and dimes wherever they can. So, uh, a lot of people that think they're into their last few years vectoring in on retirement, they get thrown with, with a, a huge curveball where they're either offered a severance or maybe just completely laid off with a, a lump sum departure. And they may have a couple options on, on how to take that. And then if, if you've got pension options and there's a lot going on. So um, the question here is, should, if you're giving a buyout offer, well, let's, let's assume that there's two scenarios. One, you've got a buyout offer that you could take, or you could keep your job or a job. And and what I typically see is people get offered a an inferior job to what they had, and and maybe even a, a pay cut. But you can you can stay with the company. Well, if you need the benefits and and some of those things, it, it's so multivariate that you have to obviously look at everyone's situation. But there are ways to calculate the value of of these lump sums how would you approach that brett well number one number one it all comes down to planning it all comes down to meeting with your your trusted advisor talking about your goals and where you are in accomplishing those goals at that time so you really have to look at it from that standpoint because what you touched on brian is you know, a lot of these times it's, okay, well, you're out of a job. So you're going to get this buyout. And then your next job you try and go to, I'm going to be honest here. If you're over 50 years old, um, there's a lot of companies are not looking to hire you. Now they can say that's not true, but all the statistics show that. So it's one of those things where you're looking and saying, well, wait a minute, I don't know that I can get a job that replaces this. So I might want to stay on. I might want to take an inferior job where I am. But it all depends on where you are. So if I'm 61 and I could retire anyway, 
yeah, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and take that. So I think most important thing is is getting down and figuring out where where you are at the stage of your life. So talking with with your advisor and then looking at it from there. And and then it's just walking them through the numbers. For a lot of people they're going to still need to work, Brian. So if they need to work, it's like, you know what? If you take this, you know, just remember that severance because here's what happens. That severance will say it's 6 months. And they're like, "Well, I don't have to work for 6 months." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." We just looked at your plan. If you don't have a job in six months, you're in trouble. So even though they're paying you for six months, you you better start looking on day one. Ideally, you want to have a job in place, even if it's not making as much by the time your six months is up. And it may take longer, especially right now during a recession. So I would say most important thing is you got to get in front of your trusted advisor. If you don't have one, call Brian. And go ahead and, and get a meeting and, and talk to him about it. Because that's what he's going to be walking through. What are your goals? What are you trying to do? How much money do you have set aside? Do you have a pension? When would you take Social Security? All these things. He's going to be looking at all of that, the tax ramifications of the money you do have. Is it in taxable accounts? Is it in IRA accounts that's going to be taxed on the way out or on a 401k? He's going to be asking you all those questions. And then you can kind of come up with a plan. But until you have the data to make that decision... It's really hard. And most people make that decision without actually reviewing the data. So that's how I would I would answer that. It's it's uh it's it's you gotta talk to a talk to an advisor or or if you want to do it on your own, you gotta work through it on your own and work through the numbers and see where you are. Also, yeah, there's a mental side of it. That's the other thing I would just mm-hmm. r- real quick. The mental side of it, you may just be tired. You just don't want to work anymore. You say, you know what? I am willing to give up certain items of my lifestyle to have an easier life. Just talk to somebody who manages the local bank that we do business with. She has worked for 40 years for the same company. She's in her late 50s. She said, Brett, I'm just tired. I said, well, then you need to sit down with your advisor. I said, I'll help you out on a plan, but you just need to see where you are because she's married, no kids. But it said, you and your spouse, where are you? What do you want to do? I said, because she goes, but then I might have to give up some things lifestyle-wise if I quit. I go, yes, but that may make you happier. Money doesn't buy happiness. Money buys freedom, but sometimes you don't have, you have more freedom because you have more money, but you can't enjoy it. So I think the mental side of it's too, and that's something that Brian or I would, would talk to the client about as well. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. And, and I was going to say, what, one big variable might be, where is your money? So if, if you're going to not have the income, so- like Brett said, maybe this is a good opportunity to slow it down a little bit, find something that's more enjoyable or less pressure. You know, you definitely see health issues and, and stress. You don't want to keep doing that forever. So if you've done a good job of saving and you've got your 401ks fortified and maybe your late 50s, early 60s, if you're 59 and a half, you can get money out of retirement accounts without penalties. So that's that's a big age uh, hurdle that you want to look at. Uh, There are other options if you're below 59 and a half, but uh, I I won't go into all that right now. And then how rich is the offer? So if they're offering you a few months, you you need to come back and say, well, can I find something that would earn enough just to, to pay the bills? Maybe I don't have to continue maxing out my 401k. Maybe there's enough there that if I can coast or cover my expenses for four or five, six years, something like that. Uh, And I've seen a lot of people do that. That's actually a better way to retire. It helps you sort of transition into it. It's not that full stop, you know, go from full work to full retirement. 
and uh, you know that can cause all kinds of issues with spouses and boredom and uh, your portfolio becomes your job and you start calling me three times a day and yeah, you know, I've seen all that happen for sure. But uh, yeah, how rich is the offer? Are you at a position where you can access other accounts and uh, or can you just cover the, the bills with something less stressful? So all, all of that would factor into that. But um, and, and one one last thing and then we'll move on, on to the next one. I'm, I'm sorry for just throwing this in is, you know, two pronged. One is that that it could hasten your decision to move to, you know, Lake Ocona area or, or it could hasten your decision to move to Florida or Texas. You could say, you know what? I can give up this big house I raised my kids in. I don't need it anymore. My spouse and I were actually going to downsize. So that actually can serve as an impetus for, for that. And then regarding work, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of people and they, this is the, the one person said this to me. One of my clients said, I want a NMP job. I said, NMP he goes, yeah, not my problem. <laughs> Meaning when somebody comes to them, and this is a person who had management experience, was making a couple hundred grand a year. He goes, I'm going to do some consulting. I'm going to make a quarter of what I made before, but I have my retirement accounts in place. I won't be able to spend as much money maybe as I did before, but I'm fine. I'm downsizing. He goes, I want a not my problem. When somebody comes to me, I'm like, not my problem. Call that person. And I got to tell you, as you get older, enough people are saying, I don't need to actually go ahead and have all this extra money. I, I actually want some peace of mind. And I think I think that's important. Yeah, it's uh, all very good points. Great points across the board. And uh, that transitions nicely into our next discussion. Because, yeah, it's nice when people have that option to initially say, should I take this offer? Should I stay with the job? But some people, it comes down to, no, you're not keeping the job. And so then the dynamic changes a little bit. And so that leads us to another one of our common questions when people maybe find themselves in that position is, should I accept a pension buyout or receive a lump sum uh, and receive a lump sum, I should say, or keep the pension as a monthly lifetime payout? So it's uh, just like the, the lottery question, right? Do you take the big lump sum or I got it, Walter. I got this. <laughs> I got this, Walter. I'm ready to go. I know the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And you're like, wait a minute. You got to choose one of them. Yeah, yes. The answer is yes, because it depends. It depends. So Brian and I would sit you down and we would talk. We would say, number one, do you have other assets? We would look and say, look, based on what they're offering you, if you're going to get X amount for the rest of your life, it's worth about 5% a year. That's essentially, so if you took the lump sum and took 5% a year, that would mimic it, okay? So, so or 4% or 6% or whatever the number is, but we would figure that out for you, um, which is not that, that difficult to do. However, then we would go into number one, how is your health? So if you're single and your health isn't good, guess what? Take the upfront awesome. buyout. Take that, absolutely. What if you you're not healthy, but your spouse is? Well, then you might not... You know, then then you might want to keep it for your spouse. Um, you know, if something happens to you, so joint and survivor, which I think Brian Brian um, Brian and I just talking about that. So I'll let him comment on that in a little bit. And then you're looking at: Do you have other assets? Other assets that you can draw upon. So do you have other assets that, if you need the money or you have expenses upcoming, say a, a, a you know a marriage of kids, you want to uh, buy a vacation house, things like that. Do you have other assets that you can pull out, preferably taxable assets, so that you're not you know taxed unless you capital gains in there, but taxable assets that you can pull out. 
And are you going to keep working? So if you're going to keep consulting, but maybe not making as much, plus then you're going to layer in Social Security either now or in the future, you could actually say to the person, look, if you take the pension, then 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 you're, do you want to take the pension? But if you take it and they say, yeah, I kind of like the idea of me and or my spouse getting money for the rest of our lives, then that can absolutely make sense. If you're going to take the pension, though, one of the things that, that that we would say is, well, wait a minute, that's like a fixed income. You have money coming in, just like Social Security every year or every month in that case. So you know what? You might be able to take a little bit more risk on your other money, your rollover IRA money or taxable assets, if that makes any sense, because you sort of have this guaranteed amount amount coming in that, that covers kind of your core expenses. So, Brian, do you want to add anything that so, so the answer is it could be e- either or if 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 is to is to whether you would take the lump sum out or whether you would go ahead and take the pension. But Brian knows, Brian, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you ready? Are yep. you ready? Yep. What does just about every other advisor do they go through that whole how to talking to the client and trying to make the best decision? What's in the really the fiduciary standard best interest of the client? What does the average advisor say, Brian? The the average advisor is compensated on the assets they manage, and overwhelmingly they're going to say take the lump sum because it's probably which more Brian and I have interest. both said before to take. Yes, we have said that before based on data, not just on hey we're going to win focus on growth or we'll get an extra one percent payout. And here's the way I would approach this, Walter, because the lump sum may be the best choice, but I also like to have multiple sources of income that aren't my problem. And and, and, and we'll call those NMP income sources, Brett. How about that? Not my problem. Somebody else has to make that deposit in your account every month. Love that. Social security, pensions, annuities, those are all good ways. And I really like to have that coming in for the base expenses, you know, rent or mortgage payments, taxes, utilities, food, a little bit of clothing budget. That's good to have on hand for uh, predictable income. Then the next thing I would look at is how rich is the payment option? And so what I'll do is look at the offer that you get for either a lifetime income for a single life or my favorite for joint couples would be a joint and survivor option. So if you're healthy, you think you're going to live a long time, or at least one of the spouses will, the joint and survivor option is great. I will take the lump sum amount that you would get versus the payment that you would get. And then I would go to an annuity provider and just price it out and say, if you took this dollar amount and tried to replicate the annuity that they're being offered in that pension, can you do better in the private market? Typically, the answer is no, because there's an insurance company that's got to you know, try to make some money on this. And, and usually those pension plans are run a little bit more lean and they can offer a better payout. I did have one a few weeks ago, a person retiring from the uh, university system in, in Georgia, and the pension was phenomenal. I mean, it was far better than anything I could get them. So uh, it was a no-brainer to to take the pension because even the lump sum, I, I couldn't do anything close to what they were getting for, for the payment on that. So if you look at you know, what, what's the base income that you want, are you getting a fair offer from this pension or do you, you, do you need it? Or if you truly don't need it, you've got enough other assets that, uh, you know, it's, it's just a rounding error 
maybe you go ahead and take the lump sum just to to, to go ahead and fortify that. But if you go through those exercises and and but come Brian, up with, but Brian, you a, don't get paid on it though. Brian, you don't get paid on the assets though. Well, sometimes we have to do the right thing for for the client, Brett. Oh, Flash report. oh, maybe I should. Maybe <laughs> we should write that down. Yes, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just was like. Yeah, you're actually doing the whole thought process. You're actually being a certified financial planner and walking through it. Yeah, and and if your advisor is not taking you through those steps and and just jumping to a uh, conclusion like that, eh, you might want to take a second second look at it. Great points, guys. And that takes us to question number three. So if I have the option of taking my severance as a one-time payment or a payout over several months, then which one should I choose? Getting more into yeah. the, the nuances here. Yeah, I think this is a pretty quick quick question. Uh, is it an option? Are they giving it as a one-time payment and if you need it? But typically, if you can stretch it out over multiple months, you might be able to kick some of the income into the next tax year. And if you're out of a job or you're taking a lower paying job, you may have lower income that year. So in, in that scenario, I would try and stretch it out over a couple of tax years or months if you can. Leave that one there, I suppose. Uh, yeah, enough not, covered. nothing to add. Nothing that was to add. Perfect. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah, that was good. I would say. All right. Uh, fourth common question about being forced into an early retirement that uh, we get from folks. Should I find another job or just try to retire altogether and try to make it work? That harkens back to, uh, I, I think, the initial question a little bit in that debate that you guys were having. I would say that when I look at the statistics, yeah, and, and again, this is maybe repetitive to our frequent listeners, but... People who retire at 55 are 80% more likely to die within 10 years than people who retire at 65. So I really think there's something to not having something to engage you in the world, have, have a reason to get up in the morning and, and go and interact. And so what I've had a lot of clients do is they, they quit the stressful corporate you know, VP job or whatever they've got, uh, sell the business, get out of the reading room, and they'll they'll work half the year, they'll work a few days a week, they'll have something part-time. And it's just enough to keep it interesting, stimulating, engaged, but it's not stressing you out. And it's extra little pocket money to help you bridge, maybe delaying social security claiming to you know, not have to draw on, on your brokerage accounts and you can let those continue to grow and things like that. So I, I would say plan to find something else, even if it's a, a hobby job. For example, I, I could go into the pizza business. I could go do you know photography and shoot. I, I just did a wedding video for my sister who got married out in California. And they came back from a big reception that they had in Southern California. And they said, oh my gosh, we had like 20 people ask where we got that video and how we can get one too. So you know, who knows if this, if this market doesn't treat us right, I may, I may pick up uh, wedding, wedding videos as a, as a part-time job. So all kinds of things out there. And I would, I would encourage people to you know, find something that, that, that just works and keeps them engaged. Yeah. My, uh, my, uh, my father-in-law just retired. He was a store manager for a, a Marshalls. So uh, he was 70, he is 78 years old. And the reason why he just kept working and working, because he didn't really need the money. It, it, he isn't wealthy, but he, he's like, yeah, I don't really need the money. He said, I just you know, want to work because so many of my friends stopped working earlier and they just sort of wasted away. He goes, I need yep. a little bit of you know stress in my life. 
he said, but but now I've done it. I've done this store manager job for 40 years. I, I kind of can just do it in my sleep. So I don't have that much stress, but I do have to get up in the morning. I do have to take care of certain things. And, you know, he finally just said, hey, I'm retiring. And it was seven. He goes, it's time. But I got to tell you, I, I think he would have kept going for, for another another few years unless they, they were kind of like, hey, you need to you need to kind of step down now because you're 78 years old. Um, <laughs> but physically, he couldn't really do it anymore. But it's one of those things. I fully respect that because people are going to keep working. It could be a hobby. It could be volunteer work. It could be just working you know, a few shifts. And also because minimum wage is so high, I have people doing, you know, I know somebody who works at McDonald's for $21 an hour. They said, I just do it for fun. I was like, okay, that's great. And, and if you're doing something to occupy some of your time and your mental and physical capacity, when I'm bored, I go spend money. And so if I can do something where I'm earning a little bit of money to offset the spending or reduce the spending, it's going to have a positive impact on your, 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 your confidence uh, about your future retirement, all those kinds of things. So I, I think it's a good thing. And it's one thing to uh, work for yourself in those situations or, you know, go find one of those easier jobs. But as you get back to talking about replacing everything, final common question that we get from folks who are going through this scenario is, uh, you know, hey, I'm not that entrepreneur. So will I have trouble getting hired by someone else at the age I'm currently at? And I suppose that can vary widely. Are we talking about a 55-year-old, a 60-year-old, 65, or in your case, Brett, you know, somebody above in their 70s, it can be, you know, certainly a more difficult prospect. I mean, the data is pretty clear on this. For for larger corporations, they are, I mean, they can say that they're not discriminating based on age, but but they are. I'm sorry. I, I you know, they're not out there saying, hey, I want some 55-year-old or 60-year-old. I think it is tougher for corporate jobs. What I do find is that smaller companies actually do realize the value of people who show up to work. They they realize, hey, this person needs to work. They want to work either because it's money, they want the money, or they just love working. They love keeping busy. And so I think that that you will find it's not all big companies, but I, I just can't see management jobs Somebody saying, yeah, we're going to bring in a 61-year-old. I, I just can't mm-hmm. see it. But I think other smaller companies, especially doing consulting, saying, you know what? This person has wisdom. Uh, they still want to work. They still have something to offer. So let's go ahead and hire them. I mean, Brian, Brian, what do you, what, what the, do you the, think? The top jobs I see people take are maybe you – know, I've worked with a lot of people in these 55-plus communities, and maybe they need somebody at the you know, social programs or the front desk. And, and you can just pick up you know, part-time – pocket money. It, it's a great place to be in the middle of everything going on. You can you know, know what's happening, uh, meet people. That's good. I've also seen people work for a smaller, maybe like a real estate holding where they've got multiple properties and they need somebody to just, you know, kind of manage the properties and coordinate repairs and, you know, collect the, the, the incoming rents and all that stuff. So there, there's, I, I would encourage people not to go look at the the big companies and the the nine to five you know traditional job maybe that they had, but network around and, and just find uh, smaller companies, people looking for what skill you have to offer, but then in a you know in in a capacity that you want to actually work. So lots of options out there. Just maybe expand your scope or your horizon and, and definition of what where where to find those jobs. Uh, but if you can, you know, find something independent to do, 
there's certainly a lot of great opportunities to solve problems for people. They call it the gig economy or the side yep. hustle. They can there you go, side, side hustles. Hustle. Making pizzas, wedding photography. Brian, I got, you got lots of side hustles. I don't have any. I have so many side options. It, it's kind of a curse. I've got too many hobbies. <laughs> Irons in the fire, not a bad thing to have at all. This is true. And uh, so bring it all home for us, Brian. I mean, I feel like the message Brett dropped in a couple of times throughout the show today is it, it all comes back to the plan, right? Uh, you know, we can give some, you know, general advice on all of these different things and talk a little bit about this scenario, that scenario. But if you want to get true answers for your particular situation, it just always underscores the importance of that plan. Most people have collected assets. They've got stuff scattered all over. They're in a holding pattern with their expense structure. Maybe this is a good opportunity to reassess, do an audit of, of what you've got, get your goals back in order. Life changes. You know, every three, four, five years, what people expect and what they plan on, it changes. Their priorities change. Their health changes. Maybe there's more opportunities. You've got kids, grandkids. So many different things that uh, they, they always say plans don't work, but planning does. And that's true. Know what you're aiming for. Get, get moving in a positive direction. You can always change your plans, adjust your plans. But if you know you've got that baseline bolted down and you're going to be able to you know, pay the bills and, and not run out of money, there's a security that comes from that. And then if you can do you know, part-time work or the market does a little better, or we've got some extra money for travel or you know, gifting to the kids or grandkids, it, it's just nice to, to sit down and, and crunch the numbers, put the plan together, make sure you're focused on your most important priorities. If you do that, you'll be happier with the outcome. You'll be more engaged. It's, it's a virtuous cycle. I can't imagine not wanting to do that. Yeah. And I'm just going to add, add one thing to that if, if I could. And, and Brian, you can comment on it. But, you know, you look at, you know, you, you, when you're crunching all the numbers and you're looking at things, one of the things that a lot of advisors don't do because they're afraid of is look at the tax ramifications of things because mm -hmm. they say, well, we're not allowed to do income tax. Well, Brian's not going to do your taxes. He's not going to like fill out your 1040. He's, he's not going to do that. Um, he's not going to tell you what business entity you should you should form. But Brian will actually, there's a, a software program that, that he utilizes that actually will analyze your tax return and see whether some potential opportunities or ways that you may want to take income in different ways. And I think that's something that's really important in terms of looking at the data because everybody looks at asset you know, allocation and, and rebalancing and things like that. But Brian's going to look at the asset location um, and then on the other side, he's going to look at your other income, et cetera, and in, in, in your, in your taxes and see where you can be more tax efficient. Yes, he's going to tell you to talk to your CPA about it. But a lot of CPAs don't have the time to kind of go through those in-depth discussions. But Brian can kind of marry the two without doing, quote unquote, tax work. He's going to be looking at things saying, hey, here's some things you might want to talk with your CPA about. So I just wanted to add that because I, I think it's important. I think it's an important service that you do. That, uh, that quite frankly, uh, a lot of um, a lot of advisors don't do. Yeah, I, I would ask yourself: Has your advisor asked for a copy of your tax return in the past? Did, did they do that on a somewhat frequent basis? And now with the new tools and software that we have to optically read and and provide a nice output, how much of your social security is taxable? Where do you cross the threshold for increased capital gains? When do you cross the threshold for increased Medicare supplement payments? All of those things factor in. What can, what can you do about your charitable gifting strategy if you're taking the standard deduction? So many opportunities, so many tax traps out there. Looked at in isolation, 
one strategy for a pension or for a portfolio or for IRA withdrawals may change if you know once you factor in all of those other variables and they're they're sneaky they're they're lurking out there but they're not they're not front page obvious so yeah that's my answer well appreciate you both and absolutely if you do want some help putting all of these things into perspective whether it is that tax situation evaluating whether you're ready to you know get to retirement and can you make it all the way through it are you someone who is facing that early uh, buyout opportunity or you're wondering do I need to take another job and trying to answer all these different questions and put it into the context of your your savings and in your investments and uh, everything that's involved in your financial future where you're going to live the mortgage rates going back to the beginning of the episode that we talked about. All of these things work together and you need to have clarity on uh, on all these different elements to get a true financial plan in place. And so here's the deal. If you're struggling to prioritize these different financial goals and if you need that plan for where and how to save and you want some help with the investment management and making these decisions that we've talked about today, tap into the 20 plus years of experience that Brian Doe has. Uh, he's been through the ups and downs of the market, knows how to navigate you through them as well. He's a certified financial planner. He's got that certification that is the standard of excellence in financial planning. Don't forget that CFP professionals indeed meet rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and are committed to serving their clients' best interests today to prepare them for a more secure tomorrow. And so if you'd like to work with Brian or at least explore that option, what we want to do is uh, offer the opportunity to call today or go online and book a free 15-minute complimentary conversation with Brian. See how you can get some clarity around those goals and prepare for your financial future. Here's how to do it. Go to livingworth.com and click book a call. Go to livingworth.com, click book a call, or you can dial 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. And that contact info should also be in the description of today's show so you can find it easily. Well, Brett and Brian, thank you both for being on the podcast today. I feel like we got a two-for-one pizza deal with the content and uh, with having both of you on as well on the show today. So I don't think anybody can be disappointed with uh, with this episode. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. You, you got the uh, house special and the Danko. There, and the Danko. That's right. <laughs> I, I want. I want to see. Uh, we're gonna have to get producer Andrea to start drawing up some uh, some graphics for the sales flyers for the Danko Pizza. I like it. That's right. Uh, Brett, thank you. Take care, my friend. Thank you. All right, and thanks to Brian. I'm Walter. We'll see everybody next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.